Live. We are live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Power Podcasters Hangout. I'm Scott Patton, the Dean of Blogonomics and Pedology. Welcome. Uh, as you can see in the background, I've been lazy. I've been sleeping. Actually, I'm in a hotel in Salmon Arm, British Columbia, which is kind of in the center part of BC, and it's very close to some really good skiing, and that's kind of why I'm here. And I'm very, very excited because today I have an extremely special guest. My background, uh, I spent 20 years working at Canada Safeway, which was a grocery chain, managed a lot of stores, and one of them I had 300 employees in, and of course, there was never a day that went by that two of the 300 people weren't mad at each other, and I had to deal with it, and so I was so happy when I got out into uh, the internet marketing world where I have very little of that going on. And my, my guest today is very special because she started off as a cashier at Walmart during her college years. And uh, while it wasn't her dream job, it paid the bills and I'm sure uh, gave her a couple nights out that she wouldn't have been able to do otherwise as a, as a college student. Then she moved on to Target where she was promoted into management. And she hated that job. And I totally understand why you would. It's a grind and <laughs> not a lot of fun. But she wasn't the type of person to sit around and complain, and she decided to do something. And what she did was get online, start a podcast, and uh, really uh, just change the way that she created her, her life. And she loves to travel, which, which I do also. Just got back from South America a couple months ago, six weeks in Peru and Colombia and on a 1,500-kilometer beach that I just love. So I want to welcome to the show... Rochelle Rofe. Hey, Rochelle, how are you doing? Great, how about you? Good. So you're now in, in Las Vegas? Yes, yeah, it's been really nice. Awesome, great. Well, that's a, that's a place where everyone will come and visit you, I'm sure. Yeah, we have been here just in September. We've had so many people already come and visit. There was Affiliate Summit West last week, and then there's something going on this weekend because we've gotten a bunch of texts from more people. I think we're going to go see Ben Atkins tomorrow night. Just, yeah, there's so much stuff that happens here. That was one of the big draws, actually, for Vegas. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it's a great spot to be. Congratulations on, on uh, all of your success. So Thanks. tell us a little bit about how, first of all, how you got out of Target. Because one of the one of the things about Safeway and Target and Walmart is stability. Although Target came into Canada, bought a whole bunch of stores, hired a bunch of people, and then just left uh, yeah. that last week. So maybe I'm not. It's no longer as stable as it used to be. But one of the things when I was at Safeway was you knew every week you got a paycheck, and you knew that every week somebody had to buy groceries and. You knew every week you had 20,000 people come through your store, and you knew every year you had a 2% increase in sales because that was the inflation rate. Um, so it was very, very stable. And some people would say maybe that's the, the, the draw of that type of career. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it depends on your personal profile, like personal, uh, personal personality profile. So it really just depends on if you're a risk-averse kind of person or not. Uh, for me, when I was at Target, when I left, I was 23, and at the time, I was making $55,000 a year. And compared to my peers, it's like I was making way more than anybody else was. And I just... 
even though I had a college degree and all this stuff, I would go and I would try to get other jobs. And it just seemed because all I had was retail on my background, I couldn't seem to get any other job. And the situation was such that the other managers and I would sit in our offices and talk about how much we hated our lives. Like that was it. It was just so miserable. I was working 60 to 80 hours a week, going to school full time. and. I would just work, like I've always had a strong work ethic, and so I would work these 36-hour shifts because I was a salaried member of management and things needed to get done, and it was just all the time working. So um, I ended up, funny enough, coming across one of these e-books on Craigslist, which is like, make a million dollars in your underwear while you're sleeping. And the whole thing was basically promote this book and you're going to get an affiliate commission. And so I did. I promoted it so hard. It's not something that I recommend doing now, not necessarily like something I'm proud of, not sustainable. But at the time, I was making between $500 to $800 a day from my very first day onwards for months. And I finally was like, wow, there's a way where I can actually earn income and it can last and I don't have to be in retail for the rest of my life. So back in June 2006, I decided to quit and I've been full-time ever since marketing. Wow, that's pretty exciting. And you've yeah. written a lot of books yourself now, right? I have, yeah. I have, I don't know, probably about 50 books. Most of them are outsourced. So um, I paid, you know, ghostwriters and they have my name, well actually pen names. Uh, but the books under my name are probably on Amazon. You'll see, I don't know, I guess it depends if you count the contributor books, anywhere from three to ten. And then I have a ton under pen names and probably 50 or so like information products. Wow, good for you. And I think that's probably one of the secrets to to being successful online is not just having uh, one, because we never know what's going to hit the right chord, right? So if you just, it's kind of like if you're fishing and you just got like one line going into the into the river, or if you've got you know 50 people with you and you've got 50 lines going into the river, your chances of getting a fish are a lot better. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I remember when I first started, someone said something on the Warrior Forum. I don't know if you've ever been on that forum. It's like a yeah marketing one. Um, something about the um, how many buy buttons you have out there is directly correlated to how much success you have. And while I'm not advocating having a bunch of crappy products, there's definitely a lot to be said about taking action and getting products out there. Right. And getting back to Target and Walmart and Safeway, how successful would those companies be if they had this huge store and all they had was one brand of pork and beans and the whole store was full of that one item? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, unless a lot of people raise their hands and said, you know, we're into pork and beans, cool, then you can go with that. But unless you're the world's best <laughs> pork and beans, it can make a lot of sense to have a lot of different things. Right, yeah. So they ha basically they have 25,000 plus items in their store. So people come and they'll all buy ones of something and, and probably never 10 of the same item go out the store. Yeah, and the thing is, I know with Walmart, for sure, they're really big on having loss leader products, so a lot of the consumables that we had, which are things I know you know, but for people listening, like consumables, things that people can go through quickly, so detergent or, um, you know, sponges. Bars. Yeah, foods, a lot of foods. Um, all of that stuff, they would go and have very low prices to get people into the store, and then they would upsell them into the more margin items like clothing and sporting goods and things like that. And so with having a lot of products, it's the same thing where you can have low-priced products, get people into your funnel, and then you can introduce them to your other things in a way that's very easy. Right. 
Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. We used to say uh, rapid consumables, and that would be candy. And if you go to a grocery store and you're in the checkout, they're tempting you with all sorts of, you know, Belgium chocolates and everything else. And, but the reason we called it rapid was usually it was eaten before you left the store. <laughs> <laughs> Open the Kit Kat bar, and then you're outside of the store, and oh, I want more, so you're back in. <laughs> but I and I think you just actually. Um, gave everybody a really good jam of, of wisdom, Rachel, in terms of having all those different books because you do create a tribe or a community or a following where it's it's almost like when you put out something, all those people, like, that you already have a market that wants it because they know you, love you, trust you, and if you never come up with anything new and you've just got this one item, it's just kind of like a one-off sale and then they have to go somewhere else. And I do a lot of I do a lot of teaching and podcasting, and I know that that in in my process of learning, I've had lots of te different teachers, right? So there's, I guess, what am I trying to say here is that everybody wants to learn a lot, and I mean, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about the era that we're in is everybody seems to be always learning, and there's lots of information around. So why not tap into some of that by making sure that you're in a bunch of these different places and then someone, because what I'm getting right now from people that are taking my podcasting courses, um, you know, I've, I've been looking for a place, you know, someone to teach me podcasting and you just sort of appeared. Why I appeared in their Twitter feed and not somebody else, I have no idea. But, but if I hadn't had that course come out recently, I wouldn't be appearing in their Twitter feed because there wouldn't be a course and then that person would have missed out on a great uh, opportunity with podcasting. Absolutely. So how did you tell us a little bit about your podcast and how it got started? Sure. So funnily enough, the reason I started the podcast is just because I had a bunch of people in a row tell me they liked my voice <laughs> and they were telling me that I should do a podcast. And it's like, you know what? Cool, we'll try it, we'll see. And the other thing was, you know, I've had a lot of internet marketing products. I teach a lot about business building and things, but I really, really love talking about personal development and like specifically practical personal development. So ways that people can tangibly improve their lives and not just like, you know, here's some affirmations to go say, which can be helpful, sure, but I am very practical. <laughs> so I wanted to create something around that. So I figured I'd give it a shot and see how it would go. And so um, I was really excited about it. I was excited to just talk about that. So I made up a list of a whole bunch of different topics that I could talk about and people that I wanted to interview. And I wanted to have 52 different topics. So I created that. And then I created a list of people I'd like to podcast or to interview. And then I just got going with it. I just started creating outlines and reaching out for interviews and happened really quickly. When did you start? Um. Probably July, and then the podcast launched August 11th. Of 2014? Right, yeah. And, and it's done phenomenally. Like, we're getting between 1,500 to 4,000 downloads of every episode, and this is, my list is not interested. Like, my internet marketing list does not seem to care about personal development. You would think they would. They don't. So this is all fresh people that, like, right. iTunes helped me find. Right, right. So is it safe to assume that aside from just sort of telling everybody on your list and sort of your warm circle, uh, that was about, like it wasn't like you ran pay-per-click advertising or, uh, you know, 
did any of these put it on Craigslist or you know? No, I yeah, and I actually so I launched August 11th, September 4th. I was off Facebook, so it, Facebook was my tra largest traffic source for a long time, and I haven't used that. But um, I was on New and Noteworthy for iTunes, which just put me in front of thousands and thousands of new people, which was very very helpful. And then every time I have a podcast, I'll just go through and well, I, I have an assistant who will um, take the podcast, the transcript, and make slides for it. So then we'll submit the slides to slide sharing sites, and then we'll take the slides. And overlay my audio and turn it into video and then we'll submit it to some video sites and there's a guy on Fiverr who we submit to you just do a search for video submission we take that and then they'll submit the videos as well so that's pretty much a big traffic strategy I've been working on Twitter too to get more followers and so um, the last couple of months I've gotten many many more thousands of followers which really anybody can do which is like you know actually engaging but um, we post on Twitter as well yeah, that's really exciting, and that's one of the things that people have the hardest time when, when I say, they ask me, like, how, I have weight loss in the mind. In our first year, we had 375,000 subscribers to our podcast. Wow. And, yeah. And so, of course, I get, like, how did you do that? Like, and how can I get all these subscribers? And the funny thing about weight loss in the mind uh, was it was an experiment for me. I had a friend that was into that topic and and he was excited and he sort of grabbed me and said I want to do a podcast and I need you to help me so I said fine and I'm going to do a little you know internet marketing experiment and I'm not going to tell anybody and we're not going to do anything except 20 minutes once a week on weight loss in the mind and iTunes supplied all those people for us yeah, yeah it was just amazing how so people have a hard time because in in like the world you and I live in, you do pay-per-click and Facebook ads and you post on Twitter and you do you know all this stuff to be able to drive traffic to a place. And we're not used to, well, it's like if you're number one on Google for a very, very popular keyword, you don't really have to worry about your traffic, right? right. And, and iTunes is exactly that. When you have a topic that people are interested in, which you've picked, and iTunes does everything. I think the other side of it is if you don't have the right keywords in your title and your description and that sort of stuff, it may be hard for the iTunes search engine to, to get you in front of the right people. But, but generally speaking, it just seems to drive thousands of people effortlessly. And, and people have a hard time believing me when I say that. So it's just so nice to hear you say, yeah, I just put it up. And the next thing you know, I have thousands of people listening to me. I know. It does. You know, I was just, you know, I just created this podcast course, and as I was writing the sales letter, it was like, I don't want to come across hypey, but it really is very easy. It might not always be easy, but the thing is, I was looking for statistics, and I know in 2012, WordPress said they had something like, I don't remember exactly, like 350 million blogs or something. Tumblr has even more blogs. In 2013, there were only 250,000 podcasts. Compared to all these millions, there's just so much less competition. Yeah. So absolutely, it really can be that easy. <laughs> so Rachel, you came out with a podcast course, so why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, and I wasn't trying to plug it there. I was just. Oh, no, like, I thought it was a great segue. 
Right, yeah, but it wasn't intentional, but sure. Uh, so the podcast basically just goes over um, how a bunch of things. Number one, like how I've been able to get 1,500 to 4,000 downloads per episode. So just the things that I do. So how I um, chose the topic, how other people can choose a topic that pe that will do well, how to create content, how to reach out for interviews, um, what to do every time you have a uh, podcast. So I have like an outsourcing checklist that I personally use that I gave. Um, just really everything that you need. I have tons of templates, so like templates on how to reach out to people for interviews, what to say to people after they say yes, so that you can make it easy, um, what to say every time you release a episode, so like your show notes, where to publish them, what to say in your show notes. Really, I feel like anything you need to get started with your podcasting and get tons of traffic. And then there's a part in it about how to make more money, how to make money with your podcast. So I went through and interviewed people like John Lee Dumas or this guy Don McAllister who completely from his podcast he created a membership site with several thousand members which is just amazing. So um, him, someone who had Michelle Evans who's completely booked up her coaching practice because of her podcast and somebody else, uh, do you know Matt Belknap from Never Not Funny? It's a comedy podcast. No I don't like a top 50 comedy podcast. I was so lucky to get to talk to him and he just gave me a whole bunch of insight on how he is monetized and he's in all kinds of things like merchandise, fill out comedy events, donations, memberships, just all kinds of things because he's been doing it for so many years. So yeah, that's the course. Wow. Yeah, so it sounds really comprehensive. I tried to. I mean it was, that course took me a while because I hadn't launched anything in a while and I really wanted to make sure I just wanted to feel so spectacular about it. So I had the outline that I created and for months I was working on the outline, sending it to people. Is there anything you can think of that I need to, you know, add into this? And yeah, I really worked hard on it. So it's my hope that, you know, it is very comprehensive for people. I've gotten great feedback so far, which is good. That's good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, no, I think it's an excellent course myself, which is one of the reasons there's actually two reasons I wanted to interview you. One was uh, because of your course, and the other one was and I, I think it, I'm not sure when it happened, it probably was in the launch of your course, <clears throat> I heard your voice and I thought, wow, just like everybody else, like what a wonderful voice, I really would like to know you better, listen to you more and everything else, so here we, here we are. Thank you. So I have a couple questions about your podcast and that is how often, first of all, how long is it normally and how often do you post or publish a new one? So the length, it depends. So every week I have one podcast that's for me, like I'm giving content, and then one podcast that's an interview. And so my personal podcasts are usually anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes, depending on the topic. And then the interviews are usually anywhere from 20 minutes to 55 minutes. And I know like consistency is really important, but sometimes I'm talking to people, and sometimes like 20 minutes is perfect, and then sometimes we get on a roll. And I can see the benefit for both of them, because the 20-minute ones are very easy for people to digest, but sometimes if we're just really on a roll and we're getting so much good content, it's like I can't be a slave to that format. So usually it averages around 30 minutes for the interviews. Okay, cool. That's cool. And, and the cool thing, yeah, the neat thing about being uh, the podcast producer is it can be as short or as long as you want and you're the boss so it's not like you have somebody over your shoulder like we would have at Walmart or Safeway like turn it off right or if you're on TV you know network TV they basically like get on to the next or radio get on to the next thing and you reminded me of 
another friend of mine who does a lot of YouTube videos, and he says most of the people listen three, five, seven minutes, and you can just see that it just drops off. And he says most of my videos are in the 15 to 20 minute range, but he says I actually have some that are three hours, like more than one. I guess he, I don't know how many he's got, but I got the impression he's like five to ten that are three hours long. And he says, somebody listened and watched all three hours. And like, who is that person? Well, <laughs> probably the most, they're, they're my biggest fan and the most interested in what I have to say. And yeah. they were willing to sit, and, and I, I guess there's no way of knowing if it's three hours straight or if it's three hours over a couple days or whatever, but they stayed the whole time. So I tend to tell people, you know, Aim for, aim for 20 minutes because that's an average commute. It goes in the car. It works pretty good. Uh, if I'm doing an interview with somebody, I tend to tell them 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes at most because if they think they're only going to take 10 minutes out of their day and I know they're excited about their topic and they're going to go on and on and on for probably 20 minutes, if not longer, um, and that's fine because I'm the boss, they're the boss, they want to, you know, finish. All they have to do is stop talking, and I'll tie it up, and we're done. But if if they want to keep going, we'll just let them keep going, right? So, yeah. so I think it's great when you do those longer ones. I'm really happy to hear that because uh, there are people that really get into what it is that you're saying, and they want to hear more. And there's nothing worse than oh, this is really good stuff, and I can't wait to just kind of get to the climax, and you cut it off because we have this artificial 22 minutes and 33 second length that we need to hit. Yeah, exactly. I'll let people know usually to block off an hour whenever we have an interview, and then I'll just make sure again when I talk with them. That's one of the things I put in the course is like a little script to tell people when you start talking to them. But I'll just ask them if they're okay to stay till the top of the hour, and usually they are because it's what I asked for in the first place. And uh, and yeah, we'll just go until then, and, and it's great. I mean, sometimes we get to such spectacular content, it's hard to just shut it off exactly for your 22-minute, 33-second thing. That's right. Well, one of the things that I really like about podcasting is, I, and I've listened to a lot of talk radio simply because I want to hear, like, how do they introduce people? How do they take their breaks? How do they come back from their breaks? What do they actually talk about? And all that sort of stuff, right? Because they're the pros. They've gone to school for four or six years to learn it and then they've had however many years of experience and and I just lost my thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> no, but there is, it is really interesting actually to study what they do because they have gone through and studied so much and for me I'm just like, like I'm not good at talking so much with no purpose, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm, it, it blows my mind how they're able to do it. You can learn a lot from that. That's right. That's right. And it still hasn't come back, so I'm going to ask you, what's the name of your course? It's Podcast Prodigy. Okay. And if you want to learn more about Project, uh, podcast, Project Prodigy or Podcast Prodigy, head over to www.powerpodcasters.com uh, forward slash prodigy. And I'll have the link down here in the description or uh, probably up here if this is a replay that you're watching.
Rachel, I just want to tell you, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a delight meeting you and talking with you, and I hope that we get a chance to do that a lot more. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. So thanks for joining us, everybody. This is the Power Podcasters show. I'm Scott Patton, the Dean of Blogonomics and Pedology, and appreciate having you along with us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.